Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Hello and welcome to the show. We're back in sweet home Colorado in the United States. I love it here, my home. There's a there's a curious thing if you uh if you look at a topographical map of the United States, you'll notice that Colorado, Denver is right at a a juncture between massive massive masculine or yang and what I'm talking about is if I face west now, there's a huge mountain range that goes from like Canada to Mexico. And here in Colorado, we have 53 peaks over 14,000 feet. Massive, massive yang energy. And all I have to do is is turn 180 degrees and face east, and it's really flat, very flat across the United States. Sure, there's other mountain ranges in the east, but in general, I mean, I can, I do it all the time. I look west, and it's this gigantic mountain range, and I look east, and it's flat, and which is yin or, or feminine energy. And right where those two meet is Denver, Colorado. So it's good to be home. I I love being here. So let's let's stir it up a bit. Nah, that's not our character. That's not what we do here. It sure is. So let me ask you this. If if Jesus said, or pick your savior of choice, that you will do everything he has done and more, you got that penciled in on your calendar? I mean, like miracles and uh, manifesting food and, all, you know, all manner of miracles. You got that penciled in for yourself? When do you expect that to happen? Do you expect that to happen? Oftentimes we see ourselves as spiritual seekers, and that's just fine. There's not a thing wrong with that. But at some point we're going to arrive. (laughs) And I have to be careful with that. I don't want to say arrived as in the journey is over because love or consciousness is an ever-expanding medium. It's not like there's a finish line of sorts. I guess you could return to source as a, quote, finish line, unquote, but as consciousness, as a personification of consciousness as promised by our saviors, you, 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 don't look around, you, uh, 
will perform all manner of miracles. What the hell? I mean, why don't we talk about it straight up like that? But how do we how do we make the uh, uh, how do we traverse how we see ourselves now with the idea of us um, uh, more fully embodying our Christ consciousness, um, evolve our consciousness to where the point of the the seemingly rigid laws of Physics becomes soft. The seemingly rigid laws of physics become pliable, malleable. So to, to I mean, just what do miracles look like? There's the leper colony and... You walk in, and, and in your presence, this scene is transformed. Through your consciousness, the narrative takes a hard left or a hard right, a, a, a significant and dramatic change in the situation because of you. I mean, Christianity has, has touted the the miracles of Jesus for several thousand years and Jesus promised us all that we'd be doing that too. So where the hell are the miracle workers? I mean, the the academies of various religions at some point should be producing personas that can perform miracles. We're going to have a fun show tonight. The topic tonight is the Book of Innocence, and our guest tonight is Paul Selig. This will be a sixth time on this show. If you read uh, the materials that Paul has channeled, they talk about the upper room and how and and how the scene is is pliable or. so, so the teachings of the guides concur with the idea of what Christianity has said, where reality in and of itself becomes pliable. So what the hell? I mean, if we can't even talk about it, it's we're pushing it down the calendar, maybe a few calendars away. What really struck me about this book, the Book of Innocence, and and the notion of it's done unto you as you believe. If we look at the, the polarity of innocence, what's on the flip side of innocence? Um, guilty. If I'm guilty of something, I've lo- I've lost my stature in society. If I'm guilty of something, I am I am punishable by the laws of the land. And if I'm punishable, I've lost my sovereignty. 
So the Book of Innocence is only, uh, I see it as if it's done unto us as we believe, if we're going to really embody our our Savior gene, our Savior um, archetype, we have to believe that that we are entitled to that, that we are worthy of that, that we're deserving of that. And and the idea of healing our idea of our own innocence, healing our relationship with our own innocence, I think would be a critical step because if we don't see ourselves as um, innocent, then then we're not innocent. And if we're not innocent, then we've lost our stature. We've we've lost connection to source consciousness. Or we've perhaps maybe a better way to say that is we've added a layer of belief. that is incongruent with this the savior gene the the miracle gene the uh, i've mentioned several times on the show i'm going to mention again right now there's a a, a series of books written by Vladimir McGeer the first one's called Anastasia there's like eight or nine books in the series. The and you'll uh, I know I know the the books have had people um, falsifying web pages, so I'm going to add an element ringing like ringing a bell and cedar as in cedar trees. The ringing cedar is one of the elements to know that you're looking at the right place. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, sometimes the first book, again called Anastasia, can be found in perhaps Barnes and Noble or um, Borders or probably online. But I. If you want to heal your relationship with your savior archetype, that the, that uh, divine persona within your being, um, Vladimir McGeer, I might be pronouncing that last name wrong, but um, read the Read those books. Uh, get that first book, Anastasia. And if it doesn't talk to your heart, I'll be surprised. But tonight's show is about the Book of Innocence. And this is a channeled book by Paul Selig. And the material, like I said, we've had him on the show six times. I really like the material of his guides. Uh, I think there's... Uh, a grace or an elegance when uh, the closer you get to, um, I don't know, divine text or upper tier languaging of the nature of the divine.
Can you see yourself healing your relationship with miracles? Is that even in your wheelhouse or is that so far down the road? I think uh, (laughs) this radio show is all about our potential, so we have to uh, uncover the stone and, and look behind the couch and and turn over every nook and cranny to to have a, a deeper understanding of the truth. Well, let's get to it. I think uh, I think you're going to enjoy tonight's episode. The Book of Innocence invites readers to explore a new vision for themselves and the lives they lead, one that is pristine fundamental, and innate. Instead of being blinded by spiritual and physical distractions, the guides offer a return to the primal simplicity of a deeper knowing. This powerful book welcomes readers into a paradigm-shifting experience of renewal and rebirth, shedding cynicism and conceit in favor of authentic and life-changing innocence. This was recorded uh, last week, actually, while I was on, uh, on my trip out to Los Angeles. This was recorded when I was in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, but I think you're going to like this episode. Let's get to it. Here's, here's the interview with Paul. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thanks for having me. The Book of Innocence. How does innocence sit with you? I I know when you channel these books, you're not really connected to the material as as it passes through, but innocence seems like a topic that might be a little out of context compared to some of the other uh, teachings. I think if you if you look at innocence in a in a cultural way, I think perhaps that's true. It's not meaning stupid. It's actually meaning, I think, the capacity to be in wonder and experience the self through the aspect of self that holds innocence, which is holds the recognition of the divine. I mean, I'm not. I wasn't raised with any religion at all, but there's that line in the New Testament about becoming like little children, and you know that's how you see the kingdom of heaven. In some ways, I think that's what they're referencing here: that the divine self, the aspect of self that they're talking about being realized through us, through their teachings, is actually in innocence, is actually in the ongoing revelation of of the presence of the divine. And you really don't achieve that as an intellectual act. I think you can have an experience of the intellect having an experience of itself. But the aspect (laughs) of self that they say experiences God is that aspect of self that knows itself as of it and participatory to its creation. So they're talking about a level of restoration to who we are. And they also talk in this book a lot about memory and the idea that all of our memory is situated within this realm, for lack of a better word, of separation, that all memories we have were incurred 
in a false belief in separation, which is they say how the common field or the field that we operate in collectively has been structured with our consent and by us. So the aspect of self that is beyond those frames is the aspect of us that even reclaims memory or what we think we are, what we think happened to move into a higher level of of vibrational accord. So it really is a teaching of reclamation. They get into the idea of sin in this book as well. They have not in the others, which was surprising to me, but they're really talking about our idea of what sin is and they talk about the monad or the divine self or the Christ within if they can call it anything you want as being without that and they sort of say what it means for the idea of being beyond sin or without sin and that just means beyond the belief in separation you know which is basically what they say sin is right the denial of the inherent divine yeah well I wasn't I wasn't inferring uh, stupidity, but the the, the notion of uh, claiming the upper room and and mm-hmm. redefining reality, so to speak, it yeah. I'd, as I contemplated this interview, the the notion of innocence, I, I think a lot of times people carry a sense of guilt or or sin or shame mm-hmm. from their past. Yeah. And that makes yes. it that makes it unworthy of them that yes. they can regenerate, recreate, mm-hmm. and, and so I just I found it fascinating that that yeah. they talk about innocence and they talk about sin in the same book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they're talking about restoration, and you know, this is the eleventh book that's come through me in maybe twelve, thirteen years. And um, in the third book, which was called The Book of Knowing and Worth, they really addressed, I think, our, our, our disavowal of our own true natures, the refusal or the fear of claiming our inherent divinity. You know, they say, you know, you can't make something holy. It already is, but you can deny it in anything. And we do deny it in ourselves. So... I suspect what's going on in this book, and I actually haven't read it. I mean, I, I did the audio book, but when, when, when the books are being channeled, they're coming so quickly, and it's such an overload oh, sure. of information for me that I'm, I'm I, the, only, the first time I actually sit down and go through the book word by word, you know, is when the audio books are being recorded, which is generally about ten, nine or ten months after the transmission you know, and has been after the, the manuscript was sent to the publisher. So, you know, I, 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 I know that in this book they address shame and they address memory and how memory is subjective and is born in a belief in separation, which isn't true. But they say that there is an aspect of us, which is the God within, that seeks to reclaim us in our true state, which is innocence. And, um, I, you know, I'm a, a jaded New Yorker in some ways. And, I, you know, the last thing, the farthest thing I can think of from an innocent. But I understand what they're saying. And, you know, they've since, they just completed dictation on the 12th book, which was finished like four days ago. And I understand the Book of Innocence in context where, where they take us next which is to this real idea of how a world is reclaimed at a higher level of consciousness by that aspect of self. 
but they talk about how that aspect of self experiences what they call the inherent divine as a constant unfoldment, a constant witnessing of source un unveiling itself to us. It's really interesting stuff. I mean, I'm challenged by it, but I've been challenged by every book that they brought through me, you know, and consequently curious, but, you know, expecting the confirmation that they say we will have with this. And for the most part, they've been pretty accurate. People are having the experiences of of the work as they as they work with the texts and the guides that deliver it. Well, the notion of uh, living in the moment, I don't, you just spoke it, but I don't remember the context, but mm -hmm. to to stay present in the divine when, I mean, from my Kool-Aid, as you come into a situation, anything that you posture with, that you separate with, that you judge with, you're creating a, in my vernacular, a standing wave of energy that it has a karmic mm -hmm. consequence. And, and so when right. you talk yeah. about when you talk about what they're getting at is living completely present in the moment, mm -hmm. that is mm -hmm. the place where no karma is accumulated because you're fully mm -hmm. conscious of everything that's happening in the moment. Mm -hmm. that yeah, I would sense. agree. It does make sense so, to me. So, so the so the innocence. I mean, the, they're reclaiming the the. My words would be your your ego has has in its eyes taken on sin. In its eyes, made a a negative choice, and and it's created a a narrative or a context that is separate from the the divine self or the upper room. And so the, this book of innocence is like no 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 we uh, it's it's a reintegrate with ourselves to dissolve that that story we've been telling ourselves that we can come back to this now and be more fully present if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, the guides have said for a long time, you know, the small self can't fix. The small, the small self, you know, it just doesn't really work that way. So it's not a teaching of self-improvement. You know, there's a place for that, and they say there's nothing wrong with the small self, which is just the personality structure. We just confuse ourselves with it when who we are, which they would say is the, the divine self, with the aspect of self that knows and isn't operating through fear and isn't necessarily in agreement to inherited structures, you know, what we think should be based on what we've been raised around or the culture we live in. You know, they're talking about how this comes to be expressed and what that means. I mean, they've said in, gosh, almost all their books, this very simple thing which speaks to what you were saying. They say, what you damn, damns you back. And, you know, which just is a teaching of vibrational accord, who you put in darkness or what you put in darkness calls you to that darkness. And we've been operating in a collective field that holds a lot of those agreements. And what they're doing is lifting consciousness and vibration to a level where they say 
things are not informed by the old bias and the old history. And in this book, they're reclaiming the old history, personal and collective history, operating at a higher level so that we're not just operating in replication of what we expect. And they say that's what we do. You know, that's all we know how to do. You know, we've lived in a, we've lived in a world for so long with war that we expect war, and consequently we, we continue to, to war. And they say there's right. a level of consciousness where that's not present, and that's what they're supporting us in. Well, and just reclaiming, reclaiming uh, what you damn... Um, Takes you with it, and so, yeah. and and so, as in our mind, we've built these constructs of of the history of our persona, mm-hmm. so to speak, yeah. and it's yeah. all folly when it comes to the divine. The um, it's like you can't offend the divine. <laughs> you can't, no, you know, yeah. So we're letting ourselves off the hook so we can get over this dogma. The stigma that we've uh, loaded our psyche up with, so we can yeah. go back to be more fully present. I guess. I would say that's a nice way of putting it. You know, I mean, their idea of fully present may be a bit different. They talk a lot about presence and being, in I think it's this book, um, and they say that the world is transformed through this expression of presence and being which happens in the present moment which is they say the only moment you can know source or god or whatever you want to call it in you know you can only know now you didn't know yesterday you can't know tomorrow knowing happens which is a kind of communion and awareness in the present moment and they use the word knowing and the word realization um, interchangeably and then it's about the realization of the inherent divine that you can claim at that level of presence nice well now you've been doing this for a while this particular interview is your sixth time on is the show really? wow which okay. is the record <laughs> oh my goodness okay so, thank you well well thank you um but you have a community now. You have a tribe. I mean, uh, how do you see the teachings? I mean, as as people are exposed to this over time, do you see some underlying changes in their behavior and demeanor? Well, I don't have a community. I mean, the community that I have is the community that I inherited here on Maui where I live, which was actually Ram Dass's community, and I'm grateful for the satsang there and how welcoming they've been to me. And um, I don't, I'm not a guru and I'm not a spiritual teacher. I'm a guy that sits in the chair and takes dictation. There are students who've been with this work since the first book and I do online and live events and some of them I see, you know, yearly or more than that if I show up someplace that they decide to show up at. But I have to trust at this point that these people, you know, who say that their lives have been greatly changed and transformed and for the better, you know, are telling me the truth. I mean, I don't want anybody, you know, blowing smoke up my ass. I could care less, you know. I just want to do work. I want to right. do work that is meaningful. And, um, and this is the work I've been given to do. 
and I'm a student of this work as much as anybody else. I can talk about how my life has changed. It's changed radically. Um, but am I done? Am I finished? Do I consider myself enlightened? I don't. You know, I'm still learning, and I'm still confused at times by all this, and I find putting some of what they teach in action very challenging. Um, but I, you know, it's like the woman, Helen Shookman, I think was her name, who was the channel for A Course in Miracles, which I've actually never studied. But I've heard she was quoted as saying about her work as the channel and about the course, I don't believe it, but I know it's true. And I actually get that. That makes perfect <laughs> sense to me, you know, because it well, rings true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've... I've interviewed over 500 people now. We're in our 13th year. Wow. And, and when I look at somebody else's Kool-Aid, as I call it, um, there's, there's attributes that denote, um, I would call it, I guess, grace. There's a sim uh, simplicity and elegance to it. And the material that you have channeled through your guides I would consider um, uh, very elegant, very clean, very to the point. Um, so, <laughs> in the in the realm of guides that you could have hooked up with, I I think you found some pretty exceptional ones. <laughs> well, I'm grateful. I mean, I'll say that. And and this goes back to your last thing about the effect of of the work on people. You know, the guides dictate these books, but they say that the books are actually energetic transmissions that work directly with the reader. And when they do events, and this has been the case since I was doing a little group in my apartment, you know, 20, 25 years ago or something when I first started. And my, I'm 61 now. I was probably about 31 when the group started, the first group. So over 30 wow. years. Um, you know, the energy would come through when they would come through and they would work with attunements that were energetically palpable. And I, they didn't start lecturing through me until I was about 48 when I quit smoking. That's when they just, I just knew that they were talking more and I wasn't, I was never all that interested in what they had to say. I was interested in the energy because you can't fake the energy. And I always say, you know, my right. biggest problem with being a channel is that I'm a channel, that it's me. But if I'm in a room with now sometimes a few hundred people and the guides do this attunements and everybody feels the energy and the room just fills and lifts, you can't really argue it, you know. And I've always been grateful for the work about that, that it, it, it comes in a way that people can have their own experience of. And that means, and the good news there is, they're not deferring to me because I don't want them to. You know, I don't tell people what to do. I could, I'm not interested. It's not that I couldn't care less, right. but I don't think that that's how my guides work. I mean, they come as teachers, and they may have support for people, but they don't take away free will and they don't override our choice right well I mean 
I really like the idea of the energy in the room raising, and um, it, it, it's like this high high caliber vibrational uh, persona or presence. And then I look at the text, the text of the book, and it and the the book is trying to bring um, your little self or your ego. Um, into uh, more of an alignment with that higher vibration. So, so the, the book itself has a vibration that's not related yeah. to the words per se. Yeah. And and the words are telling you the the person how to come more into alignment with that higher energy. Yeah, they've said that you know the the books operate on two levels, or the words on the page which they say are encoded with vibration and provide a context for the reader so that she has some sense of what is transpiring, but that the real book is existing even beyond the words. It's the full intention of the book as an energetic structure. And they say, you know, and it's interesting, they've said they said this a number of books ago, they said, you know, as they're dictating the text, they're also working with the reader of the text at the same time and answering their questions as they read. And, and it's been interesting to see that because they're not, they're not, you know, stuck in our idea of time. And so it's funny because right. people, will, people will write in and say, you know, I'm reading the book a second time. It feels like a completely different book. Or I had a question on page 35. It was answered two paragraphs down and then again, you know. And this is just how it seems to be. But I, I accept it, you know. I right. have been doing this for, you know, I just finished the, the 12th book. And it was dictated over five weeks. And I felt like my brains were going to come out my ears by the end. I mean, it was such a fast transmission and the energy was high and I'm just still trying to grapple with it let alone the content of it you know there's right. so anyway that's my experience of this you as a, a reader and an impartial reader are probably having the intended experience of the book which is probably a bit different than I'm having as the one at the receiving end of the dictation Right. Well, with the twelfth book in the can, so to speak, maybe not published yeah. yet. But do, do you see more work with the guides uh, coming down the line, or does this wrap it up? Or I think this wraps up the cycle of books that was begun with "I Am the Word," which was published in two thousand and ten and dictated in two thousand and nine. So this book, they say, is a completion of that teaching. And then they also said, and they said this when they were dictating the epilogue of the book and then in the session that followed before students, that they have more to write and they have three more to write. I don't think they're going to do another trilogy, but I know that they've said they have three more books. Uh, and they're teaching union now, you know, or, or what was it? I don't know if that was the word they used, but... Uh, true union, you know, and that's basically where they left the reader at the end of the text they just completed in this awareness of union. Um, you know, the guides have said that every book sort of is operating as a tone or as a note on a piano. And um, when all of those notes are played in unison, when they're aligned to and then played energetically as, as who you are, you move into a chord, and they say A-C-C-O-R-D or A-C-H-O-R-D, 
with the realization that accompanies the work. And so I think that that's what they may have done, and I get like yes on that when I when I tune in. Um, and I don't know where we go next. You know, I, 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 I'm assuming there are more because they've said there are more. I wouldn't mind a pause. This has been <laughs> what I do and how my, my life has been structured. And now that all the books are done, the first two, two, three books maybe were done on the phone. I was on the phone on speaker with somebody, and I was recording, and she was taking her notes because there has to be an active listener. But somewhere, I think midway through the third book, they began dictating everything publicly. And now all of the, the subsequent books were done before audiences, you know, and videotaped. And, you know, the rule with all of the books is I don't get to go back and edit or change. And right. now there's a record of it all coming through. And, you know, the challenge for that is I have to set up the, uh, the events that will allow this to happen. You know, so I was channeling day and night pretty much and you know in this part of the country and that part of the country and here on Maui you know through this whole thing so we'll see I'm, I'm assuming there's more I have I've agreed to uh, to do a memoir which I'm nervous about because I haven't done my own writing in 13 years I've been so taken up with this that I don't know what that's going to feel like and I used to have terrible, terrible, terrible writer's block, and for all I know, it's still there, and I hope it's not. So the irony here is that these books come so quickly and don't have to be revised, you know. Um, right. I, yeah, it's a whole different thing. Well, you talked uh, about Maui. How are you uh, settling in there? You've, you've got a house, and, and uh, yeah. does it, it feel like home, and you're loving it? Yeah, I love it, yeah. The best thing I ever did was come here. Um, my life has changed radically, and you know. But I, we know the islands had a hard time recently. We had terrible, terrible, terrible fires, and there was tremendous loss. It was not in the part of the island that I live, and um, so you know I'm not in that, but I'm very aware of it and I feel it. But this is a holy, magical place for me. And um, I feel yeah. like I was brought here, and I'm gonna. My intention is to stay. You said you you felt what happened on Maui. My uh, my kids went to uh, Columbine High School well after oh, the, the that tragic day, and um, we were all out of town. We we only lived a few blocks away, and I I. When we got home, I drove over by myself by the high school, and I was blocks away. I was several blocks away, and I could feel in the air the grief. And I turned around and got my kids because I wanted them to experience it. And so when you say on Maui that you feel, I know, I think I can relate to what that means because um, – well, my heart goes out to everyone affected, and uh, I think I I love Lahaina, and Maui is such mm -hmm. a beautiful place. Mm -hmm. uh, so, well, Paul, I want to thank you for being our guest on the show tonight. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, thanks for having me. I, I enjoy it as well. What a what a delightful interview. 
That was Paul Selig, and we're talking about The Book of Innocence, his uh, latest published book. And apparently he's got one in the can coming down the road. You know, when when you think about the process of enlightenment or spiritual journey or however the the hell you want to contextualize it, it seems to me... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it seems to me that at at the core of our being, metaphorically, at the core of ourselves, is this truth with a capital T. Uh, it, it's been said many, many times that enlightenment is a discovery. It's not a creation. It's a discovery. And I think our our ego over lifetimes falls out of resonance with that bigger truth at the core of our being, that Christ consciousness at the core of our being. And when we think about the journey home or the journey to enlightenment or the big E, it's our ego can, uh, it's obvious on this planet, our ego can entrench itself in fear and worry and shame and guilt and all manner of uh, separation or perhaps confusion, disconnected from the truth. And it's not like our our higher self or that Christ consciousness or source consciousness at our core is going to dilute and pollute itself, separate its, uh, its... It's not going to come meet us at our ego. Now, I'm, I'm not discounting the communication and the connection because as a whole, we're one being. But what I'm getting at here is the journey, the journey to enlightenment dun, 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 is cleaning up, wet cleanup, aisle five, is cleaning up your own psyche when we've taken on guilt and shame and worry and fret and et cetera, et cetera, we've lowered our vibration of our ego consciousness. And that's, that's what's made a journey to be had. If our, if our soul consciousness, our ego consciousness Vibrated at the same vibration. In other words, um, I think Jesus gave an example of he took a couple of uh, followers over the side and he turns himself into pure white light. Pure white light. So what part of our persona, our demeanor, our ego, our sense of self, is vibrationally incongruent with that inherent truth at our center, at our core. 
that perhaps the journey to enlightenment, dun, da, 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 the journey to enlightenment is to clean house within our ego, within our little self. To raise the vibration of our little self. To quit taking on karmic separation. To quit taking on subconscious imprinting. To quit taking on a sense of separation. And returning our our ego, our little self, to purify, to cleanse, to heal our ego, our little self, so it rises in its own vibration. The journey to enlightenment is, at least an aspect of it, is to get the vibration of our consciousness, our little self, our ego self, consciousness, purified again, cleansed again. That's perhaps the journey back home, is to reintegrate where we've been separated, is to raise the vibration of our consciousness to be more in resonance, more in attunement with source consciousness at our core, at our center. Paul's books that he's channeled over all those years, I think does a wonderful job in teaching our ego the vibrational direction, the vibrational practice, the vibrational resonance of our higher selves, of our, uh, of our, well, I don't know, 5D, uh, our Christ consciousness, our source consciousness, and uh, you could contextualize it in many different ways. But here on Earth, here on Earth, <laughs> here on planet Earth, if you go back not that far in our history, I mean, the the global awakening to the notion of spirituality, the global awakening to the idea of evolving your consciousness, the the reintroduction, perhaps, of Christ consciousness in a more Western dialogue. Spiritual podcasts, spiritual books, everything spiritual seems to be a hot item of late. I think 2020 cracked us open and and the the narratives here in the states there's so much there seems to be a tug of war for the collective narrative in in 2019 metaphorically we had a pretty uh similar or perhaps an equilibrium amongst ourselves or in the collective of the idea of what life is all about 
and in 2019, things seemed pretty, quote, normal, unquote. And then, thank God, the wheels fell off the cart, and in 2020, the the <laughs> the karmic rototiller uh, plunged into the collective subconscious and stirred up all of our shadow, not all of it, that stirred up um, vast realms of consciousness that had previously been off the radar, really not um, that discussed out in the open, so to speak. And now, now, here we are in September of 2023, and uh, everything's getting looked at. Everything's getting turned over. Everything's getting uh, perhaps resolved, uh, certainly brought into awareness. And when I say everything, that's probably not a valid word because the you look up at the sky at night, there's billions upon billions of universes as far as the eye can see. So everything is more of a local preference, but... But for you, but for me, for us, we're we're really given some some context now to grow ourselves, to to evolve ourselves, to really see ourselves in a new role, in a new narrative, in a new paradigm. Where the idea that we become the personification, we always have been, but in a more conscious way, we become a personification of source consciousness in the sense that our ego, our little mind, um, over, over time with intent, we cleanse and purify our languaging, we cleanse and purify our beliefs. We heal our relationship to our emotions. Emotions are not a bad thing. When you heal your relationship with your emotions, you have actually a very powerful relationship because your emotions are kind of a... a a measuring stick or a metric, so to speak, of how you're seeing yourself as as it relates to the world around you. As we heal our relationship with our emotions and clean out our beliefs and energetically purify what I call our personal energy persona, that collage of, of karmic imprinting, that vast collage of karmic imprinting that makes up our persona as we purify that and we scrub our our thoughts and our beliefs so that we're authentic to ourselves at a soul level we've talked about the the ego and the soul authenticity before on the show but Pure, authentic you. Pure, 
pure, pure in the sense that more and more of your persona is, has moved into vibrational equivalent uh, resonance with that Christ consciousness, that enlightened persona at the core of your being. Purity. And then authenticity. Authenticity is a very powerful thing. Authenticity, when you're authentic to yourself, the measuring stick for your authenticity, nobody but nobody else holds that except you. Only you, only you can decide if you're being authentic to yourself or not. Maybe somebody can recognize when you're uh, being incongruent with yourself, but your authenticity, the actual metric, the actual measuring stick, if you will, of your authenticity is 100% an inside job. If we think of the divine idea of a human being, a human persona, we all as souls chose to go into the shadow, go into the darkness, to go into separation. And for many of us, over many, many lifetimes, we loaded up our psyche and we became so separated with source consciousness that we saw ourselves as separate. And now here on earth, in this lifetime, in this chapter, in these days, if you're listening to this radio show, your soul had the idea of evolution. Your soul had the idea of expansion. Your soul had the idea of reunification of yourself for this lifetime. To reunify everywhere within your psyche that you have become separated over the many lifetimes on this planet. I suggest to you, I think it's David Hawkins that first said that consciousness is a logarithmic element. I suggest to you if humanity is on a logarithmic curve of consciousness that we're going to see an acceleration. We're going to see an acceleration of expansion an acceleration of potential, an acceleration of outcome. Remember at the beginning of this this episode, I asked you how you saw yourself with the idea of miracles, the idea of, of the savior archetype. A lot of people, when they think of themselves as a miracle machine or or their own personal savior, it's hard for them to make the shift, so to speak. But I would think that that archetype, the awakened, the, I don't know if awake is the right word, but 
um, the Christ consciousness archetype within our being is one of the 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 learning, the understanding, the embodiment that we would go through to return to our enlightened self. When Jesus turned his persona into light, we have that potential in our in our future, in our lifespan. The the logarithmic nature of consciousness suggests that as as humanity awakens to the Christ consciousness within ourselves, within us, a logarithmic expansion of our potential will manifest itself. I think we're going to come out of this uh, karmic tsunami and go through an expansion of consciousness on this planet that perhaps has never been seen before. Maybe, maybe in Atlantean days or or such. But I think this time's different. I just, I do. I think this time is different. I think, I think what's coming down the pike for us is. Uh, beyond our comprehension. I think that's pretty easy to say, beyond our comprehension, because we're going to have a a logarithmic shift in our sense of self, individually and collectively, and that has to translate into, into what we create. Well, an hour goes by pretty fast. Hey, I want to tell you, if you've read one of my books or there's an episode that you've liked or <clears throat> there's somebody you'd like to recommend to be on the show, you can contact us, New Human Living, through the email inquiries, inquiries at newhumanliving.com. If you like my books, there's an episode you like or you'd like to recommend somebody for the show, we'd love to hear from you. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. You showed up for yourself. Here you are now showing up for yourself. I appreciate that. Always a pleasure. I appreciate you. This has been a New Human Living broadcast. If you're looking for spiritual resources, there's literally hundreds of podcasts just like this one, free online. You can find them at newhumanliving.com. If you sign up for the newsletter, I write a weekly blog that helps you contemplate the nature of nature, contemplate the nature of your own human genome, contemplate your own human potential. How powerful is that? I can say it's powerful because you are powerful. I want to thank you for joining us in tonight's broadcast. I appreciate you, the listener. Until next time, thanks for listening.